0: Love Talk Radio My life Is led me down the road That's so uncertain Now I am left alone And I am broken Trying to find my way Trying to find the faith That's gone This time You are holding all the answers. But I'm tired of losing hope and taking chances. On roads that never seem to be the ones that bring...
1: This is your host, Mark Lichtenwalter, coming to you live on this 27th day of June 2016. You can find us at bloodtalkradio.com forward slash the Kingdom of God or Nothing. You can also find the archives at thekingdomofgodornothing.com and on iTunes in your podcasts. The guest call number is 516 387 1641. That is 516 387 1641. Tonight, we're going to be reading uh, part three of an article on tothereminence.com. The The name of the article is We Thank Thee, O God, for a Princess. I have no idea why, but I like the article. Kind of a weird title. Anyway, uh, before we get into it, we will, I'll offer her, and then we'll get right into the reading. And we'll see where we go from there. We'll probably just read, uh, there's like, uh, let's see, seven parts to this. We are in part three. So, and, uh, oh, let me see here. I guess I can, uh, uh, you can also find uh, my writings and stuff at at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-D-U-R-U-S 1977 That's Facebook.com forward slash Lazarus 1977 And I'm going to post This part through here On that wall Let's see if I can do this Real quick Yeah we'll do that there And then um, Kim I'll unmute you So that you can Talk if you want to So I'll do that here did that is that,
2: is that
1: my yeah, can you I don't know does it work yeah, yeah it works. yeah <clears throat> remember you can mute you know, that headset uh, okay. if you want to okay all right so I just posted that to the remnant part three and we think they are oh God for a if anybody wants to read along yeah and uh, it was written by Adrian Larson so <clears throat> good uh, it's a good Good article, I think. I enjoy it, uh, at least up to this point. So, all right, I'll dedicate the program. We'll get right into the reading. Our Father heaven, we thank thee, Father, for sending us prophets in these days that bring thy message and thy word and thy scriptures to us. We thank thee, Father, for the atonement of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who bring us back into Thy presence, we ask Thee, Father, that Thy Spirit be with us, that we <clears throat> can uh, discern truth from error as we read this article. We love Thee, Father, and we say these things and dedicate a- this show and our time meant to Thee in the name of Yeshua, of even Jesus the Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. I- you can hear me when I talk. And it's like, I want to listen. You um, can hear me talking as he's my son, 10, 10 year old son. He's uh, <clears throat> 11 in just a couple months. So, anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm having a hard time tonight for some reason. I got swimming like crazy. I oh, know. Kim says, you're muted, Kim. She said that there's too much stuff in the, our dust in the basement. We were down there packing boxes and organizing stuff. So <clears throat> I think she's right. Too much dust in the basement. Anyway, this article was written Tuesday, December 16th, 2014. And we'll get into it. Prophet, <clears throat> prophets Part 3. We thank the old God for a princess. Once again. No idea where he's going with that, but okay. Uh Helaman chapter thirteen, verse eight. Therefore thus saith the Lord, because of the hardness of the hearts of the people of the Nephites, except they repent, I will take away my word from them, and I will withdraw my spirit from them, and will suffer them no longer. <clears throat> I will turn the hearts of their brethren against them. In the first two posts in this series, we discuss the fruits of a prophet and the standard set by the Lord for discerning true prophets by their fruits, ye shall know them. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. It is uh, it is also covered, uh, we also cover the fact that without the fruits of prophecy, visions, and revelations, it is impossible to tell if someone is a seer or a revelator. The fruits come by the gifts of Of the spirit not by the virtue of any Office in the church sadly these Fruits have been absent from the LDS church For quite a long time That is we cannot Point to any new revelation Prophecy or vision to which The church in the last hundred uh, years To the church in the last Hundred years or so when I have Pointed out this fact to my brothers And sisters in the church and even church Leaders the most common reply is we receive revelation at every general conference. Indeed, some regard every talk by the members of the First Presidency or an apostle as revelation, because these men are sustained as prophets, seers, and revelators. Except for they never say thus said the Lord, because they never have a message uh, from the Father. Only uh, doctrine, if they see it. Which doctrine has changed over the last hundred years or so. So oh, by the way, today is the one hundred and seventieth, seventy second anniversary of, of the murder of Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram, who actually was the the heir to the church. So God took out the guy in charge and the heir, which led to a huge debacle about who was supposed to take over. So no, Emmett. No, <laughs> he's playing a video game. <laughs> anyway, um, when I pointed this fact, oh, I read that. I disagree, as I discussed previously. Prophecy and revelation are different than inspiration. I totally agree with him. Many church leaders give inspired talks by the power of the Spirit, teaching great truths. Many general conference addresses are shared that. Di- are shared as common inspiration and are filled with light. But re- revelation is something more. Prophecy is something different than just a great talk. Is this prophecy? Allow me to illustrate what I mean. For purposes of this discussion, let me accept the proposition that our sustained prophets give revelation every to- or at every general conference, actually. Hold on, I'm going to. Just ask for this link. I'm going to get into two real quick. Oh. One link. Oh, radios. all kinds of fun here. So, this is a podcast. I would just pause it. There we go. Copy and we'll give them this here. I think computer work here. Oh, there it goes. Okay, let's get back to that reading here. Allow me to illustrate what I mean. For purposes of this discussion, let's accept the proposition that our sustained profits give revelation at every general conference. In fact, to make things simple, we'll confine our search to just the president of the church. Nobody will question that he certainly accepted as and sustained as a prophet. Therefore, the common belief is that his words are revelation to the church. Therefore, since he is issuing revelation as a prophet, his talk should uh, qualitatively be different than what is offered by, say, members of the Second Quorum the Seventy, the Bishopric, and the Relief Society General President. If you take the names off the talks and simply read them, you should be able to pick out revelations of the prophets, which are different than the talks of the non-prophets, right? Try these. Which of these was spoken by a prophet at General Conference? Number one, we've all felt anger can come when things don't turn out the way we want. It might be a reaction to something which is said of us or to us, we may experience it when people don't behave the way we want them to behave. Perhaps it comes when we have a wait, have to wait for something longer than is expected or than we expected. We might feel angry when others can't see things from our perspective. There seems to be countless possible reasons for anger. Okay. The second uh, example, And remember one of these is given by a prophet, so-called prophet, and the other ones are not. So, pride is are essentially competitive. It is competitive by its very nature. Pride gets no pl- pleasure out of having something, only of taking more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. It is pride which has, become, uh, has been the chief cause of in every nation every, and every family since the world began. Pride always means enmity, and it is enmity and not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God, okay? The third example. We Are, re- are we really aware of the perilous circumstances surrounding our children? We can usually determine if their If their physical needs are met But what about their spiritual needs Do they know of the light and peace Of the gospel of Jesus Christ The the scriptures teach All thy children shall be taught of the Lord And great shall be the peace of thy children Children need the peace that comes from knowing A loving heavenly father Who sent his son Jesus Christ To bring light and hope into the world It is up to us as adults to direct children to that peace and light. Number four, many people are longing not only to be loved, but to have someone who will listen to them. When we love God with all our hearts, then we have the capacity to love our neighbors. The greatest need in the world today is not more science, not more social engineering, Not more teaching, not more knowledge, not more power, not even more preaching. The greatest need we have today is for love. Okay, what do you think? Which words were spoken by the prophet and which were not? Clearly all are inspired messages and teach truth but which rises to the level of revelation or prophecy. Here's the answer key. Number one was spoken by President Monson in October uh, of 2009 General Conference. These are the words many will elevate above all others and call them revelation. Read them again. Are there any revelations there? No, there are not.
2: Number two is...
1: Number two is tricky. These are the words of Christian author C.S. Lewis, but some of them were borrowed by Ender Taft Benson for his 1989 General General Conference Address. The words originate with a nonprofit, but then are spoken by a prophet. Do they elevate to relative or revelatory status? Number three was Sister Colleen K. Menlove. Recently released, primary general president of the April 2005 General Conference. referenced scripture. Yeah, really. So that's what I was going to guess. I was like, number three, at least they referenced scripture. And they yeah. were trying to point towards God and, like, teaching the kids about the Lord. So I was thinking, well, that's the most prophetic. And obviously
2: it was by a woman.
1: Ha-ha. <laughs> 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 or well, you can have prophetesses. I'm just
2: saying.
1: Anyway, number four came from the Christian evangelist Billy Graham. Now I'll admit that at least our that such a test as just offered is necessarily limited. I only take an excerpt of talks devoid of context, but I did that intentionally to focus on the message rather than setting in, which it was or the setting in which it was offered. Nevertheless, I won't take the space here to do so. I submit you could do the same with the entire conference talks, our talks. Take one of the speaker's names, then try to pick out the talks of the non, are the prophets versus the non-prophets. Could you conclusively say, which is revelation and which is merely inspiration? Well, you know, when Joseph Smith spoke revelation, he spoke thus saith the Lord, not to whom it may concern or Oh, brothers and sisters, look, we're talking a little story about a man made George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a Jim. <beauty>, <laughs> Are you serious? You hung up? Okay, push the button again because this is still on. Just disconnected the line. Push the middle button. Can you hear me now? Kimberly It's my wife Pushing the wrong button Well let me see if I can connect you Hold on That's not it Oh it's not It's not going to let me do it Is it it working Push the top button then Just push it You don't have to hold it in Hey, push the second button. you just tap it? It's discovering. To hold it way in for the discover. Oh my gosh, Kim, seriously. She's laughing. It is? Can you hear me? Is your phone our cell phone on? Are you sure? Okay, now put this top button again. Just tap it. Is it connected? You just can't hear me. And I can't hear you. Okay, here, use the cordless. You ready? It's about to fly through the air. <laughs> and I don't throw them mom. I was just joking. Okay, this was brought to my attention forcefully when someone emailed me a link to a fictional general authority website containing absurd parodies of general conference talks. The site sent to me in the context of being an important addition to the topic at hand. It wasn't until a couple of days later, as I recall, that the sender realized the deception and told me the site might be fake. Oh, interesting. Hey, if you use the right vocabulary, speak the correct f- correlated phrases, and parrot what other general authorities have said, guess what? You, you'll just sound like them. And that's the point. Men and women, even children, speak inspired words and teach beautiful truths. People of all faiths do so. LDS leaders certainly do, calling such words prophecy or revelation just uh, because they come out of one person's mouth, um, but merely a good talk when they come out of another person's mouth, makes the owner of the mouth the most important deciding factor in discerning truth. It elevates the speaker above the message And relieves us Of our obligation to seek Confirmation from God That's what too many people do They just trust the words because of the person that's given it And they don't even get revelation for themselves And you know I think it's in section 77 It says that um, All they who um, Are some of, some of one, some of another Some of Jesus Some of Peter, some of John, and it goes through this whole list, are the telestial kingdom. You know why they're the celestial people? Because they trust in the words of the prophet without getting revelation for themselves. There's lots of people out there that hear the words of Jesus Christ, and they're like, that sounds good, I believe that, but they never go and get revelation for themselves or confirmation to find out if... What they believe is true, or their interpretation of that scripture is true, but and they are cursed for it, because they were lawful in their duties. God said, if you likewise let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally, if he will not upbraid, or if he will not punish, if you've got to ask God, you can't just expect for, for God to speak through a prophet, and you don't go and get revelation for yourself, because there's a lot of false prophets out there, and a lot of people think I am too, but I'm just saying, a true prophet will turn you to God and tell you you can become a prophet yourself. But anyway, um, let's see. It makes a man into an idol, and God's word into a secondary consideration. This is, again, uh, Christ's injection to melt the man by the fruits and not the fruits by the man. Most important, such an idea supports the notion that God's words are really no different than man's words and that revelation and prophecy are really no different than any other banal platitudes that may be offered as religion. Prophet or princess. You may not want to read what follows. It's harsh it's a harsh reality. But it wasn't my idea. No, it's an idea promoted by the LDS Church. More specifically, I got what follows from an article in LDS Church owned magazine, LDS Living, in which a quiz was offered comparing the words of LDS prophets to those of Disney characters. Check out this link. I'm not going to check out that link. Yes, that's right, prophet or princess. Hard to tell. What makes... That quiz so much. Uh, that's what makes the quiz so much fun. The words of the prophets are entertaining. Your soul is at stake, or anything. So have some fun. I thought I don't though write a lot of stuff. There are times when I'm so caught off guard that I'm at a loss for words. This is not one of those times. Two words, in fact, come readily to mind. But this is a family-friendly blog, so I'll edit them and present them as follows. Holy crap, are you serious? Let's compare what our claim, what we claim are the direct words of Jesus Christ to that platitudes of Disney princesses. Forefront, and this is what we pass for Revelation. This is how we claim to receive the very oracles of God. Now let me just say the oracles of God are the words of God spoken to a prophet who then relays them, not the prophet himself. If you have the oracles of God, that means you have the words of God to be given out. does not mean you're the oracle. That is one of the false doctrines taught by the church today. They just simply don't understand what it means or what the word oracle means. Anyway, this is where so many of us hang our our salvation, secure the knowledge that we can never be led astray, which is false doctrine promoted by Wilfred Woodruff, and it contradicts scripture. Anyway, allow me to quote another animated fictional character, namely Homer Simpson. Feeling stupid, I I know I am, but it's okay. What I don't think they're giving us this. Uh anyway, I'm just gonna continue reading. Uh but it's okay because in the words of Winnie the Pooh, Winnie are the prophet Pooh Winnie. He's trying to be funny You're braver than you believe And stronger than you seem And smarter than you think And it's a good thing too Because we're going to need those smarts To beat the next quiz Again promoted by the LDS Church And LDS Living Magazine That's right, it's time to play Eater or Bimbledore Actually, I'm going to go up And check out that link And see if we can Let's see Where's that link at Okay, let's see what this link has to say. (laughs) Okay, let's see here. Okay, don't worry. If the time comes, you'll know what to do. I said it? Prophet or princess? Jim, are you playing with me? Um, if something is burned or burned in the past, just leave it buried. That's a princess. <laughs> I don't get this. It doesn't give the answers. It just puts it on there. Whatever. All right, we're getting out of this. Cause this is just dumb.
0: <sighs>
1: Let's try Dingle, uh, Dumbledore for beer. That one here, maybe it's better. This is all on there. Uh, who said it? Dumbledore, reader. Let's see here, scrolling down. Number one. Who said it? Light can illuminate the path before us and lead us through the darkest night into the promise of a new dawn. Who said it? Never give up on anyone. That include, all right, and that includes not ringing up on yourself. That one's it, dwarf. Are you sure? It doesn't give you answers. Excuse me. <laughs>
0: then I'm right. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Yeah, I think you're right. But anyway, whatever. What's that? Not even at the end of the whole page? It doesn't get. Right. No, it just had comments. So that's stinky. Yeah. In this fast paced religious extra- extravaganza, you'll get to guess which, I don't even know what the word is, hack need, hack need glitches were uttered by fictional wizard. Dumbledore, for which we're smoking, by here and Revelator, Dieter Uldorf. After all, as the introduction states, they are both—they uh, both have silvery, silvery hair, speak with foreign accents, and are known for their wisdom. Having trouble? Here's a hint: if it's about flying a plane, it's about Dieter, or it's Dieter. If it's about flying a broom, it's Dumbledore. You're welcome. I hope you forgive the sarcastic tone of the above. Sometimes this is the best way to highlight utter absurdity. When the uh, sayings of those prophets are viewed as uh, the source of entertainment, when the words of eternal life are confused with slogans of fictional wizards, then we look like fools, trifled with sacred things, unable to discern God's word from man's. We are indeed wretched and miserable, and poor and blind and naked. Revelations 3, verse 17. Would we ever play such a game with the words of Christ? Isn't the fact that we play such games proof enough that we ought, or that though we claim the prophets speak for Christ, we don't literally believe they do? Do we not show by our own works that prophecy has ceased? For those we call prophets only offer what is commonly available and cease, are ceaselessly repeated every six months um, how will we ever know God's will? What are we to do in such circumstances? Well, it ends where the restoration began with James chapter 1, verse 5. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, which means freely, and upbraideth not, which means he will not punish you for asking, and it shall be given him. I hate those uh, King James English, like. Like when I was on my mission, I'm like, we'd say this to people and be like, what is a brave being? I had to look it up. But it just means he will not punish you for asking the question. It was never about finding a man to follow. It was all, always has about, or been about finding God ourselves. Of course, other mortals can point the way to Christ, but ultimately the journey to find him is un- undertaken alone. Uh, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save, 2 Nephi 31, verse 19. Moses 1, verse 4, his voice is yet in Scripture, his voice is yet in the flood of revelation that came through Joseph Smith, and his voice will yet speak to all who will ask and listen. His words never cease, end quote. But seeking him will take in faith, and it may require letting go of cherished but false traditions, and that might be uncomfortable. See, that's why the church basically came to a halt, part Uh par- partly uh, uh because they didn't build that temple there in Nauvoo, but partly because, you know, they just wanted to argue with the prophet and tell him how wrong he was all the time, even though he was receiving, thus saith the Lord. And that's actually what the... uh Tim, do you remember what the newspaper press was that Joseph uttered um uh, said it was a nuisance and had destroyed and that the uh, expositor or Navajo Expositor? If you've ever read that, they were like, How dare Joseph try to make us build temples and how dare he try to uh gather tithing and uh, you know, for different things and uh, you know, how dare he look polygamy and all these things and that You know, it was just like stirring up a whole bunch of contention in the community, and it was all about, and these weren't just members of the community. I mean, these were, I think one of them was one of his apostles, and the other one was a bishop of the church, William Law, Wilson Law, I can't remember. Anyway, it's a mess. Continuing, so it might be more entertaining to just go ahead and read the article about the prophet. Of what prophets have said on the topic of Santa Claus. Oh, and I hear the Muppets are delivering the glad tidings of great year, uh, great joy this year too. Yep, that'll do. Oh, let's see here. Oh, <laughs> now he's quoting Paul Simon, Simon "The Sound of Silence." And people bowed and prayed to the neon God they made. And the signs flashed out its warning and the words that it was forming. And the sign said, The words of the prophet are written on the walls of, sub- are on the subway walls and tenement halls and whispered in the sound of silence. Okay, that's interesting. Oh, that we would uh, turn to God ourselves, search the Scriptures, cry mightily in prayer, and seek to know Him. Then having obtained a hope in Christ, perhaps we may again hear words over the pulpit like those of King Benjamin, quote. My brethren, all ye have assembled yourselves together. You have, You that can hear my words, which I shall speak unto you this day, for I have not commanded you to come up hither to trifle with the words which I shall speak, but that you should hearken unto me and open your ears that you may hear, in your hearts that you may understand, in your minds that the mysteries of God may, may be unfolded to your view. Mosiah chapter 2, verse 9. Let's see. Okay, so we're going to go on to. Part 4, but we're going to bring Adam up here and see if he has anything to say about any of this. there, Alan. Alan. Okay, I'm just going to leave this line open unless he starts making noise. Sometimes it takes a little bit to get his phone unmuted. The next part of the Remnant... Article. Let's see here. It begins. Wherefore they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, and the very and the very know how to come unto Him and be saved. First Nephi, chapter fifteen, verse fourteen. Prophets, part four. Presidents, popes, and politicians. Psalms, chapter one forty-nine, verses two and three. Let let shall rejoice in him that made him, let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the tremble and the harp. End quote. This series on prophets has brought up a number of questions for various people about how to identify a true prophet, God works and patterns and his prophets generally fit the patterns he established. If you haven't read the prior three parts of this series, I recommend you read them first in order to lay the groundwork for this installment. Okay, and we did cover that uh, those on uh, Thursday and Friday last week. So I put together the following table to help us recognize and identify the patterns before us as seen in Scripture church history and modern practice. In The following table then refers to a prophet in the scripture, up to and including Joseph Smith, now refers to modern LDS prophets, most particularly the past or the last 30 years or so. The statement in this chart are all factual and pattern items noted are generally accepted. Of course, there are isolated exceptions to all the items here, but my purpose is to point out the widely applicable patterns, not the exceptions. I've made no attempt to categorize any item as good or categorize any item as good or bad, right or wrong. I am merely stating things as they are. I didn't take the time to link to proof of each item noted, but they are all factual statements. If you doubt anything you read here, please investigate it further. That drives me nuts. Like, you, like, give people things, and it's so easy to find it uh, with the Internet today, but they want you to give them every little piece of, um, you know, scripture and where it's at and exactly blah, 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 whatever, and it's like – do you want me to spoon it all to you? Like, if I paraphrase something because I am quoting it from memory, why don't you go look for it yourself? But most of the time, they won't even uh, believe it anyway. They'll just say, oh, you're trusting scripture. And it's like, you can't, you can't. You can't prove anything to anybody, even though miracles are done, uh, even though great mighty manifestations are done. They say it's by the power of God, which they did with uh, Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith. So, you know, I don't know. Like, the only way people can tell who prophets are is by having the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They think they do. So, one more thing if you are uncomfortable or angry with the facts presented, ask yourself why you feel that way. Because I've not attempted to make judgments about the facts, the judgments. You make and the result, resulting emotions are your own. I suggest that allowing emotions to cloud your logic and intellect put you in great danger. Therefore, I think it's a good idea to, spend, to suspend emotion and simply read as if you were seeking to understand a topic in school. These, If these facts bother you, it's because you find them negative. More discussion will follow after the table, but for now, here are the obvious parts of the prophetic pattern pattern now where they are where they came from. Then hell from outside the established hierarchy. Now promote from within the hierarchy, climb the ladder to the top. Then have no rec- recognized worldly or ecclesiastical authority. They have titles, positions, many years. In well-recognized hierarchy, hold the highest ecclesiastical authority. Then, no family advantages or prestige. Now, often connected to family dynasties of power. How are they received, then and now? Then, obscure and unregarded. Now, worldwide fame and acclaim. Then divided, contradicted, attacked, accused of working for Satan, unchallenged, their word is law, evil speaking, to say otherwise nobody would ever dare contradict. Then wander wherever they can, uh, they can stay alive. Now shovel the world with much fanfare and acclaim wherever they go, plenty of press coverage and photo ops. Then not honored or respected, generally hated, cast out or killed. Today, the prophets are honored, lionized, loved, fawned over, welcomed, worshipped, honorary degrees, buildings, and awards named after them, honored for professional and ecclesiastical accomplishments. Then, unimportant and regarded. Today, the most important man in any room he walked into, the focal point of any meeting he attends, thousands simultaneously stand in silence, when he enters the room, living cir- circumstances. I'm just going to go through the then all oh, and then we'll go through the nails. Okay, so the living circumstances then often live with difficulty and lack, often poor as uh, to worldly goods, seldom noted or recognized, obscure and largely unknown. But today, ride in chauffeured cars, fly in private jets, staff and assistants at their disposal. Excellent food, clothing, housing, medical per, per, uh, care provided by the church if in want of the As the sole legal owner of the church and all its associated businesses and properties, the LDS president is one of the wealthiest, wealthiest men on earth. He controls a vast fortune worth millions of dollars in businesses, sprawling empires of corporation businesses, and real estate. Worldwide flame in the are worldwide fame and aquarium, massive star studded birthday broadcast transmitted worldwide. Biographies written about him and sold for profit, books, contracts, autobiographies, well managed PR and public appearances, highest celebrity status. Then Joseph Smith. Capable of error, bear the Lord's rebuke and chastening when necessary, painfully aware of their inadequacy. That was Joseph Smith. Claim to see God and angels. Speak ex- extrem or I have no idea. That's a long word. In a extemporaneously. <laughs> I've heard that one used before, but I can't remember how to say it. Anyway, speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. Expound scriptures with power and at length. Teacher follows to seek the Lord for themselves. No man stands between us and God. Define God's words as whatever the Lord says to them through revelation or in person. But the prophets today point to themselves and to each other. Oh, they do that. It drives me nuts. So like, president... Spencer Kimball said once, and Spencer Kimball's like, President Hubert J. Brown said once, and, like, they all point to themselves. Anyway, incapable of error, we cannot lead you astray. Keep your eyes focused on us, except for they say that the president of the church can't lead you astray, and Brigham Young was the president of the church, and he taught the Adam God doctrine from the pulpit and general conference. As well as many other deeper doctrines Which the church today says He was wrong about So he by their admission Was leading the church astray But they say out of the other side of their mouth That the president of the church Can't lead you astray So anyway um, They never make any claims to see God They read ghost written Carefully correlated speeches From teleprompters They do not speak but the Holy Ghost Occasionally quote snippets of scripture along with quotes from poets, philosophers, scholars, and inspiring stories instead of expanding the scripture with power and at length. Uh, Teach followers to look to them. All spiritual blessings flow through the position and the keys of the prophet. Or does Smith taught people to seek the Lord themselves so that no man stands in between us and God? Uh, Today, they say, define God's words as whatever they unanimously vote it will be, but Joseph Smith defined God's words as whatever the Lord says to them through revelation or in person. All right, works. Joseph Smith healed the sick, raised the dead. Today, the old and sick are nearly dead. (laughs) Or they are old and sick and nearly dead. Joseph Smith works Mighty Miracles in public view. Now, no Mighty Miracles claims are claimed such things are not suitable for public view. That's because they don't want you to uh, – they don't want – if there's a prophet actually doing these works, they say it's too sacred to talk about, uh, you know, because they don't want to be upstaged. Joseph Smith brought forth new revelation, new scripture, new vision, our visions, prophecy, and revealed mysteries of godliness. But today, these these false prophets continually repeat an ever shrinking assortment of gospel platitudes. No new revelation, entire revelation is neglected and ignored. Absolutely, Joseph Smith quoted God: "Thus saith the Lord." Today, these false prophets of Ephraim quote each other, thus saith my predecessor. A lot of times, they don't even give the quotes of where they're getting this stuff from. I've seen that a lot, too. I've seen President Monson give uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph Smith quotes, and not give any acknowledgment to Joseph Smith, and he acts like it just comes from his own mouth, and he doesn't actually give any reference to where he's getting that from. Joseph Smith prayed for the Lord's mercy towards a wicked generation, begged the Lord to spare the people a little longer that they might repent. Today, they pray for the Lord's bank at its grand opening and cut the ribbon of a new multi-billion dollar luxury shopping mall uh, mall built with, with church funds. Well, they say it's not from church funds, but every dime that the church has comes from tithing. They've invested the tithing in Babylon, and they've made a lot of money on it, but it all still comes from tithing, and when they do that, Joseph Smith said it is the mind and will of the Lord not to lay up another dollar for building up Babylon and its kingdom, but they do it anyway, because they don't care, because they're the, you know, they got the purse strings, and they're just going to run amok, whatever they want to do, and it's all justified, right? Joseph Smith taught that he was the least, the servant of all, sacrificed to deliver their message. So he was the least, right? He was a servant of all. Today they teach that they're the greatest, served by all, mingling with the highest strata of religious entertainment and athletic celebrities. Joseph Smith faced his accusers and attacks, attackers usually suffered, but this is all the all the ancient prophets, but they faced their accusers and attackers usually suffered for the message. But today, they're protected by teams of administrators, holders, and bodyguards. suffering is unthinkable. The prophets of old labored for their own support, including Joseph Smith. He never uh, he had the, the store in Nauvoo that he worked at, and people could come talk to him. But he worked there, right? He lived for his own support, which I do as well. I don't take tithing from people, although we do take tithing, but um, it's for church stuff, not for my own support. Um, anyway, but today, completely supported by church funds, paid for their ministry. Some thoughts. Take a look at the column on the right, but forget we are talking about one we call the prophet. In fact, let's take, uh, take it out of the realm of religion altogether. Read the list on the right as if we are talking about a business leader. What would we call such a man? A chief executive officer, CEO? A boss? Read the list and see how, it fit, uh, how well it fits. Now, think in the term of political leader. What would you call such a man? President? No, that doesn't go quite far enough. Presidents are limited in power and sometimes opposed, threatened, contradicted, ultimately even rejected by voters. Now, such a man at the head of a state would be an absolute monarch, a king, a dictator. One need look no further than North Korea to see results when hero worship and propaganda are combined with absolute power. Now getting back to religion, not not the LDS church, what would you call someone described on the right side of the column? It's some other church. He's a Catholic. You would call him a pope. Does he lead a small movement with strange ideas? You would call him a cultist. And now bringing it back to the modern LDS church, what do you call such a man? We call them the prophecy and revelator, and the Lord's mouthpiece on the earth. We revere the keys they hold, though we can't tell you what key, those keys are. We teach and believe our um, our very salvation hinges upon the keys they exercise in our behalf. We view such men as light lights and give them praise. Most LDS, hold on, sorry. Most LDS members will vehemently defend the holy and exalted status of such men while being utterly unable to point to any prophetic fruit. Many will bear testimony that such men are exactly, precisely what the Lord wants us to look at um, and emulate for our salvation, Uh, us to look to and emulate for our salvation, while being unable to support their idea. With a single scriptural verse, and what will the Book of Mormon call such men, as we described in the right column? They would say in 2 Nephi chapter twenty-six, verse twenty-nine, he commandeth that there shall be no priestcraft, for behold, priestcrafts are that men preach to set themselves up for a light unto the world, that they may get gain and power of the, our praise of the world but they seek not for the welfare of Zion, And quote. You know, I was having a guy talking to me today, and he's like, well, if you really were who he you said you were, you'd be in the top leadership of the church, and the prophets and apostles would all accept you and all this stuff. And I was like, this test that you're going through right now is the same test that Jesus gave when he came. He came as a carpenter out of nowhere. The hierarchy of the church of his days was led by Caiaphas. And they put him to death. It's the same test. Some truck driver coming out of the backwoods talking about, uh, you know, turn to God, you know, uh, what I've said to people, you know, talking about my witness of Jesus Christ and of the Father who I've seen face-to-face and and all of the doctrine that I've expounded. And, you know, they don't accept me. It's the same parallel test. Uh you know, the same thing with Jesus Christ. They refused to accept him. Most of them didn't accept him. It was just a very small group of people who did. Anyway, continuing, look at the column, the right column again. Look at the Book of Mormon definition of priestcraft. Then think carefully. Incidentally, priestcraft is a largely misunderstood, but nonetheless very negative turn among Latter-day Saints. See, they they look at everybody else and say, "Well, you guys are practicing priestcraft craft because your pastor's taking a little bit of tithing, you know, to to live." Anyway, <laughs> what he practices priestcraft craft would not want to be accused as such. That's um, that's why I find it curious that if you visit www org and search. On the term priestcraft, the above scripture will not come up. And yet theres there it is in the Book of Mormon. You know, that that's another thing that drives me
0: there.
1: There's lots of scriptures you can, like, find if you know where they're at. But if you try to search for them, you can't find them. And if you try to find the links to, like, the One Mighty and Strong, which is linked to Isaiah chapter 28, you won't find that either, even though it's in DMC section 85 because they don't want you to know about it because they're trying to keep you in the dark. We'll talk more about the prophetic pattern in my next post, but until then, here are some important things to consider. You are no longer ignorant of the Lord's prophetic pattern. It has now been pointed out to you in specific detail. You have the facts before you and you must make a judgment. Oh, and by the way, eternity's a long time to make the wrong choice. I'm just telling you. Uh, and you can't claim ignorance when you have the scriptures laid out before you as you do. Um, in fact, I don't understand how people can study the scriptures in depth and be fully turned to God and then not see the, the screwed up errors that are – anyway – You can choose to follow or believe whomever you want, but if you accept a man described in the right columns as the Lord's mouthpiece and representative, you cannot later claim he did so in ignorance. Similarly, if if you intended to lay claim on your salvation and excuse your errors by pointing to such a man as your leader, you have no defense in the face of the justice of an offended God. I'll read that one again. Similarly, if you intend to lay claim on your salvation or excuse your errors by pointing to such a man as your leader, you will have no defense in the face of the justice of an offended God. Absolutely. You cannot ride into into the kingdom of heaven on the prophet's tells. <laughs> you can't claim that you followed the prophet, uh, you know, because you were supposed to follow you know, the prophet. Emmett. Why are you hitting the phone? Okay. The little, let's see here. Claiming you followed the prophet will provide you no pro- protection at the day of judgment. See, you've got to stand there by yourself. Nobody stands around you. You stand there by yourself uh, in answer for your crimes. And, well, Jesus Christ will be there if. Uh, if you qualify for that Anyway The Lord will never command uh, Never commanded you to follow any mortal man You and you alone will be responsible for your errors Oh yeah Let's see that Although in Psalms chapter 2 it says Blessed are all they who trust the man But it's talking about Messiah Ben Yosef not And you can trust a prophet as well But you've still got to get revelation As to whether or not they're speaking the truth if you conclude, all may not be well in thine, and vine the, and the man we call a prophet doesn't seem to live, act, work, or teach like a prophet, take heart. All is not lost. First and foremost, you can go to the Lord yourself. You do not need a man to stand as an in- intermediary between you and God. Whoever said you uh, you do was deceiving you.
0: Um.
1: Second Nephi chapter 9, verse 41, it says, O then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way uh, for man is narrow, but it lieth in the straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employed no servant there. Okay. As I said, all is not lost. Though uh, Through this... Emmett, stop interrupting me. I don't need to know that and I don't care. All I said all are as I said, all is not lost. Through this or uh, through this, all there is actually good news to consider as well. But first it is necessary to remove the scales from our eyes so we can see what the Lord has done in the past and is doing in our day. We'll discuss the good, hopeful, and inspired, inspiring modern works of God in a future post. I'll close with this personal story. My LDS temple, my local LDS temple, was extensively renovated and rededicated in 2012. As a standard church world, uh, churchwide practice, the youth in my state were recruited to perform a cultural celebration the night before the dedication. This occasion was touted as an opportunity for the youth to dance for the prophet. I thought that sounded troubling, but chalked it up to some overexuberance on the the part of one promoting the event. Three of my children participated. As they participated, I attended one of their rehearsals at my stake center. There in the gymnasium, they must have had 300 kids crammed wall to wall, all facing the same direction, practicing their dance moves while trying not to step on one another. The dance instructor was at the front, calling them um, through their moves. And above, the dance instructor tapes to the wall at least 12 feet high was a photo of Cousin Monson. The picture was there to remind the children that they would they would be dancing for the prophet when they performed. The phrase was used as motivation for the kids to give it their best. After all, they wouldn't want to let the prophet down. This is a true story. I won't share the thoughts and pictures it brought to mind. It just sums up by saying it gave me a lot to think about. And in Luke, chapter 4, verse 8, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt, out, shalt thou serve. Luke, chapter 4, verse 8. P.S. I probably could have saved you a lot of time by simply sending you, uh, you to this link. It summarized, summarizes in 30 seconds what I've in several minutes to explain. Let's go to that link and see what it has to say. This is at barerecordblogspot.com All things bear record of me. And all this shall stand as a testimony against the world at the last 8 chapter 5, verse 4. I served in the United States Navy towards the end of World War Two. I was a seaman in low or lowest possible rank in the Navy and I qualified to be seaman first class, after which I qualified to be a seaman third, third class. World War II ended, and I was later discharged, but I made a decision that if ever I went back into the military and wanted to serve as a officer, I thought, no more sketching for me, no more scrubbing the decks if I can avoid it. After I was discharged, I joined the U.S. The United States Naval Reserve. I went to drill every morning, uh, Monday night. I studied hard that I might qualify academically. I took every kind of examination uh, mangi- imaginable, mental, physical, and emotional. Finally, there came the beautiful news you have been accepted to receive the mission of an sign. In the United States the Naval Reserve. I joyfully showed it to my wife, Frances, and said, I made it. She laughed. Uh, she hugged me and said, You worked hard enough to achieve it. But then something happened. I was called to be a counselor in the district. The bishop, the bishop, was on the same evening as my Navy drill. I knew there was a terrible conflict. I knew that I didn't have time to pursue the military or than my bishop duties. What was I to do? I had a decision to make. I prayed about it, and I went to, to see the man who was my state president when I was a boy, the elder of B. Lee, then the, the corner of the 12 apostles. I sat down across the table from him. I told him how much I valued that commission. In fact, I showed him the copy of the letter of appointment I had received. After pondering the matter for a moment, he said to me, here's what you should do, Brother Monson. You write a letter to the Bureau of Naval Affairs and tell them that because uh, of your call as a member of the Bishop Group, you can't accept that commission in the United States Naval Reserve. My heart sank, he added, then to right, the commander of the 12th Naval District in San Francisco indicating that you would like to be discharged from the,
0: from the reserve.
1: I said, Elder Lee, you don't understand the military. Of course they will decline to give me that commission if I refuse to accept it. But the 12th Naval District isn't going to let me off. With a war burning in Korea, a non-commissioned officer will surely be called up. If I if called back, I would rather go back as a commissioned officer I won't, if I don't uh, don't accept this commission. Are you sure this is counsel you want me to receive? Oh, he put his hand on my shoulder in, in a father, fatherly way, said, Brother Monson, have more faith. The military is not for you. I went home. I placed a tiered commission back in its envelope, with its accompanying letter and I declined to accept it. Then I wrote a letter to the Twelfth Naval District and requested the discharge from the Naval Reserve. My discharge from the Naval Reserve was the last group was in the last group process before the outbreak of the Korean War. My headquarter outfit was activated. Six weeks later I was called to be a counselor. Six weeks after I was called to be a counselor in the bishopric. I was called to be the bishop of my ward. I would not hold the position. I would not hold the position in the church if I hold I held today if I had not followed the counsel of, that, of the prophet. I had not prayed about the decision. I had not come to an appreciation of, a, of an important truth. The wisdom of God oftentimes appears as foolishness to men, but the greatest single lesson we We can learn in mortality is that When God speaks to his children Obey, they will Always be right It has been said that History turns on small hinges And so do our lives, decisions determine Destiny, but we Are not left unaided in our Decision, if you want to see the light of heaven If you want to feel the inspiration of the Almighty God, if you want to have that feeling within your bosom that Heavenly Father is guiding you and follow the prophet of God. When you follow the prophet, you will be in safe territory. Or Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. 2 Nephi chapter 45, verse 26. out that and go to this next one here. We're going to go to part five, Crying in the Wilderness. All right, we're well, reading to the remnant.com. It's an article posted by Adrian Larson. We're on part five, I think. Before they shall come to the knowledge of their redeemer and every and uh, the very know how to come unto him and be saved, first Nephi chapter fifteen, verse fourteen. This was posted on january eleventh, twenty fifteen, and it is part five of Prophets, and this one is entitled Crying in the Wilderness. Who hath believed our report, to whom and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Isaiah fifty three verse one. Hold on, are you listening, Emmett? Oh, how can you listen with the headset on? Oh, okay. Do you want to listen on the computer so we can make sure that it's going through? Okay. Then you can have your headset on. <laughs> if you haven't yet read the prior four parts of the series, I recommend you read them first in order be- before reading this installment. We've come to the point in this series where it's time to come uh, for some. Uh, it's time for some introspection. Let me outline the situation. The church is prospering and succeeding. All the church efforts meet with success. The leaders are respected and loved, and the religion is popular and accepted. The people are faithful, living living their leaders' teachings. That tell them of their relationship with God and the responsibilities they must live up to as his chosen people. They are busy doing all that is asked of them. Their tithes are being put to good use. The building program has produced many beautiful temples and impressive buildings, including a new conference center, office towers, and a gorgeous temple. And what most people don't know is that all the tithing, because of what Hugh and Jay Grant did, goes into a lockbox for Chase Manhattan Bank for two years before the church can even touch it. And then the church can also invests that money in businesses in order to get a pretty good return. I mean, they get, let's see, $6 billion a year goes in tithing. And about $36 billion, or it's 32 or something like that, comes, um, you know, back from the business interests. So church is doing pretty good. Anyway, prior attacks by those not of your faith have been, been put to rest, and you can now live in, and practice your religion in peace without fair persecution unless you're trying to live what Joseph Smith and Brigham Young taught, and then you'll be persecuted for it. Um, all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prosperous. And in the midst of this comfort or comfortable prosperity, out of nowhere, a crazy man begins to publicly level accusations against your church. He says that you are not chosen, but you are instead horribly wicked. He tells you your religion is an abomination and claims that terrible destruction is coming if you don't repent. Oh, he must be talking about me. <laughs> Just kidding. He's talking about me. Never suffer. What's worse, he begins attacking your leaders as being corrupt, greedy, ignorant, and, and uninspired. The man who makes such accusations has no authority, title, or office. Oh, wait a minute. No, he's talking about what Jesus Christ did to the Jews. Oh! <laughs> the man who makes such accusations has no authority, title, or office, except for by God. He's a nobody, neither... Uh, known nor respected in the church, he's so deluded he actually claims God talks to him, and he tells and tells him what to, uh, to say. All these horrible, unkind and hurtful things about your church and its leadership. Oh, wait, he could be talking about Jeremiah too, or uh, Lehi, or Isaiah. <laughs> of course, he's wrong. All the evidence shows that God is pleased with your church and pouring out His choicest blessings on the leadership. Anyone can see that. Consequently, many are hurt and angered by this man. They feel threatened. They fear him and his message. Oh, sure, he preaches about God that obviously has no idea what a loving God, that a loving God would never say such things and cause such pain. The God that you know delights to pour out blessings, not destruction. He rewards you for proper behavior, behavior rather than pushing you for error. Or punishing you for error. He raises up chosen leaders to show you the right way and would never allow them to lead you astray. Why would God ever let his church fall into corruption? This crazy man must be deluded and easily dismissed. That's what they say about me as well. Efforts to ignore him ensued just as our, though he just won't shut up. Ultimately as one who may potentially mislead and even eternally damage those who listen to him, we must he must be stopped in any possible way. He's threatening the peace and stirring up unrest. Isn't it about or is it better that one man should perish than a nation a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief? Oh, that's what Caiaphas said. Unfortunately, efforts to arrest and punish him for his crimes fell. As he gets wind of what's coming and leaves the country, he makes a clean getaway in is safe. But happily, the darkest episode seems to have passed, which is why it's so shocking when two years later he comes back and tries again. Oh, this could be talking about a Benadryl too. Um, only this time, get this, wearing a disguise. It is a Benadi. Yeah, a ben The the guy's the disguise even works for a while until he starts in preaching the same stuff as he, as before evil speaking of the Lord's anointed telling all the church members how wicked they are. Uh, and he's talking about King Noah, who was a wicked and vile man. But the people aren't quite so patient this time around. Abinadiah is caught, tried, and punished for his crimes, including treason and sedition. He dies an ignominious death, pathetic and screaming, so much for those who dare preach against God's chosen leaders. Do you know what they did to him? They took and tied him up. They set a fire, not under him. That's, That's a false belief that most people have. They took the sticks that were on fire and they pushed the burning end into his flesh over and over and over for weeks until he finally died. The how ben and I died. He dies an ignominious death, pathetic and screaming. So much for those who dare preach against God's chosen leaders except this crazy man was right and the destruction comes just as he said. Now for the introspection part. Here's an incredibly important question. which you have listened to that crazy man? And the face of overwhelming voices, and just let me remind you that, that Alma, who heard that crazy man and repented, he had the priesthood. He didn't have to get it. He had the priesthood. The priesthood was given, or it was in that wicked and abominable church of King Noah. He did not have to go and get it from somebody else when he went into the wilderness and was baptizing because he had it. Because that church it had the priesthood in it, and it was wicked as hell. In the face of overwhelming voices to the contrary, would you have believed God's messenger who told you of God's coming judgment? Despite the opinions of all your friends, family, and society, and church leaders, would you have recognized and believed God's messenger? Or would you have stuck with King Noah and his priests who taught you, after all, flattering things much easier to hear in exchange for your idolatrous devotion to them? Fortunately, one man did believe God's messenger, and if you are a Mormon, you owe everything to Abinadi and his one convert, Alma, how so? As you may recall, the Book of Mormon is a continuing record of apostasy and restoration. Time and time again, people turn away from God's true gospel, lapsing into apostasy, practicing various forms of wickedness. Oddly, such a people are always very religious and devoted to their falsehoods. And time and time again, the Lord, ever merciful, sends messengers to call the people back to the truth. Let me reiterate, this doesn't just happen once, but continually. There is no group in the book that manages to maintain fidelity to truth. From the opening verse with Lehi preaching to the apostate Jerusalem through Nephi, Jacob, Mosiah, Benjamin, Abednedite, Alma, both of them, Helaman, more Nephites, uh, Nephites, Christ himself, Mormon, and Moroni. The Lord gives us so many illustrations we cannot possibly miss the point. But then just in case we did miss it, we have the Jaredite record inserted to show us yet again that when apostasy prevails, the Lord sends prophets to preach before their destruction. There is not one single example of a group of believers that managed to hold on to truth. They all slipped into apostasy. The same is true of the Bible record, with the mysterious exception of Enoch and mysterious ex- exceptions of Enoch and Melchizedek, who both managed to establish Zion societies that were taken away from the earth the certain, certainly the, these are certainly the exception not the rule, and we're still here on the earth, aren't we? Now getting back to the example at hand, if there had been no Abinadi, there would have been no Alma, no Nephite restoration, the ult, and ultimately no Book of Mormon, does Smith, and the Mormon Church. Of course, the Lord could have tried again with another messenger, but that's exactly my point. It's a pattern. The Lord always sends prophetic messengers when there is an apostasy. And so, to the question again, if you had lived in those days, would you have recognized God's messenger? If yes, why and how? What makes you think he would have been moving, would have been among the very small number of believers who accepted the Lord's messengers, believed in the Lord's mess. Belief in the Lord's messengers is a very rare thing. After all, John the Baptist preached outside of the church. He had no recognized authority, railed against the religious leaders of the true religion, and had strange personal habits. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye uh, the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Matthew chapter 3 verse 3. Would you have submitted to John's baptism? According to Joseph Smith, John wrested wrested the keys of the kingdom from the Jewish leaders, and they didn't even know they had lost their authority. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 276. They still had the temple ordinances, the fine trappings of wealth and prestige that came with the priesthood office, and they were rejected by God. Yet the multitude still followed them, and John was murdered. Jesus came out of obscurity, preached against the legitimate leaders of the true religion, broke the traditions and rules of his faith, and ultimately killed, uh, was killed for his message. Would you have recognized him? Few did. His own disciples were so shocked when he died they gave up and went back to fishing. They had thought he would redeem Israel, but now he was dead. Even after he rose, there were they were slow to understand that the important event that the most important event in history in the history of the world had just taken place before their eyes. Israel had been redeemed and Israel didn't even know it. His own disciples were slow to recognize God's marvelous work, but God's work is seldom ever recognized until after it is complete. Obscure men and women labor against against persecution and rejection to accomplish God's will, and the world rejects them while while alive and honors them when they are dead. These are the weak things spoken of in D&C section 1, verse 19, where it says, The weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong ones, and that man should not counsel his fat, uh, fellow man, neither trust in the arm of flesh. End quote. Will history we have found you in the desert, worshipping the golden calf, or on the mount with Moses talking to God. The odds overwhelmingly favor the calf, not the climb. And so the people reject the invitation offered through Moses, and both Moses and the fullness of the priesthood were taken out of their midst. They were left with something lesser. This is not for rights for you. They think that the they think the fullness of the priesthood is just the Melchizedek priesthood. They don't understand it. But we'll continue reading. Uh, this is d 84: 25 and 26. Therefore he took Moses out of their midst, and the holy priesthood also, and the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood hold the keys of the ministering angels of angels in the preparatory gospel, end quote. We sit in Sunday school, wagging our finger and clicking the the tongues of those apostate Israelites who rejected and killed the prophets over and over. How could they have been so blind? And yet our own scripture tells us we lost the fullness of the prophets. Uh, priesthood over 174 Years ago and it has Not returned that's interesting 174 years Ago oh that's A okay so that revelation was Given in um, section 124 And it was given January 18 To 18 okay So that that's about right Um and let's just read it. The MC section 124, verse 28. For there, and verse 27 is uh, build a temple whereby the Most High can come dwell therein, that He may restore that which was lost unto you, or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. For there is not, and this is, the, oh, this drives me nuts, you got to get the scriptures in context, and they're only given uh verse 28. But let me read it. Oh, the other one was done by memory. Here's uh the part that they give: For there is not a place found on the earth that, and who's talking? Jesus. All right that he may come to restore again that which was lost unto you or that which he hath taken away even the fullness of the priesthood. So they think that Jesus took it, even though it's Jesus talking to Joseph Smith about how the Father needs to restore the fullness of the priesthood that he has taken away. It's not Jesus Christ that's going to come back to restore. Uh, it's the Father that gives the fullness of the priesthood. And just as we have said before, in Third Nephi chapter 21 and 22, it talks about the work of the Father commencing in the last days. The Father restoring the fullness of the priesthood is part of the redemption of Zion. You have to have the Aaronic and the Melchizedek, which were restored, but the fullness comes by the Father. And that's what Jesus is trying to get him to do: build a temple whereby, and now he's talking to Joseph Smith, build a temple whereby the Most High, the Father, can come dwell therein, that He may restore the fullness that are lost unto you, or that which He has taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. Oh, Denver drives me nuts. There's so much truth in what Denver says, that he just he just doesn't understand. And I didn't understand this for a while until God corrected me. I was like, yeah, Deborah's right. And then um, the Holy Ghost was like, you need to read it again. And and then he showed me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is right. You know, this is the Father. And I had had the the fullness of the priesthood restored to me, and he would know what it was. When the Father placed his hands upon my head in 2003, I had no idea. I was more interested in the light that was coming out of me as I was being transfigured than what he was actually saying. But um then I had a witness who actually saw the vision uh in, in you know in the fullness and heard the what the uh our father in heaven said. So that's why I know. I mean, he, uh, the father said, Um, I'm going uh, kneel down before me and I'm going to sew you up into myself. But as soon as like he laid his hands on my head and I was transfigured, I did not hear anything that he was saying. I was like, "Well, <laughs> anyway." Continuing on with the reading he drives me nuts. though. we, like the Israelites of old, are left with uh, with something lesser, and like the Israelites of old, we insist we are uh, certainly would not fall fall into some uh, the same error as our predecessors said the Lord, quote, this is uh, Matthew chapter 23, 29-32, you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them of the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, this is Jesus talking, wherefore, Ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill, fill ye up, then, the measure of your fathers. <laughs> oh, it's Jesus talking to these fools, these, these uh, Jewish hypocrites. He said, we wouldn't have done the, what our fathers did, but they did. They did exactly what their fathers did. <sighs> Continuing, then... Just drive. The, just to drive the point home. Why exactly do you suppose Mormons choose to follow the following warning? Choose to uh, to include the. Okay. Why exactly do you suppose Mormon chose to include the following warning in his book? And who exactly do you suppose he was attempting to warn? Those who would never read his book, or us who the Lord showed to him in detail, and who claimed to believe the book he gave us. Read this scripture carefully. And we're going to read just Helaman chapter 13, verses 25 through 29. And now when ye talk, ye say, if our days had been in the days of our fathers of old, we would not have slain the prophets. We would not have stoned them and cast them out. Behold, ye are worse than they. For as the Lord liveth, if a prophet come among you and declared, declareth unto you the words of the Lord, which testifieth of your sins and iniquities, ye are angry with him. See, this is Mo- uh, Mormon seeing our day. He's speaking to us, to the, to the Latter-day Saints. You are angry with him and cast him out and seek all manner of ways to destroy him. Yea, you will say he is a false prophet and that he is a sinner and of the devil because he testifies that your deeds are evil. But behold, if a man shall come among you and shall say, Do this, and there is no iniquity, do that, and ye shall not suffer, he will say, Walk after the pride of your own hearts and walk after the pride of your own eyes and do whatsoever your heart desireth. And if a man shall come among you And say this, you will receive him, and say that he is a prophet. So, like, like what have they done? They've said that um, you know the curse of Canaan uh, is lifted. They have said plural marriage is. What are you doing? Oh, okay. Anyway, but they tell you that things that God has restricted are now all of a sudden fine, right? And they're not. Uh, continuing on with the scripture, yea, you will lift him up and, and will give unto uh, him of your substance, your tithing, and you'll give unto him of your gold and your silver, and you clothe him with a costly apparel, and because he speaketh uttering words unto you, saying all is well in thine basically, <laughs> and he says that all is well, then ye will not find fault with him. O ye wicked and perverse generation, talking to the to the Ephraim, for LDS people Ye hardened and ye Stiff-necked people, how long Will you suppose that the Lord will suffer you? Yea, how long will you suffer yourself To be led by foolish And blind guides? Yea, how long Will you choose darkness Rather than light? quote. Oh, that's in chapter 13 25-29 More introspection Suppose you had lived in the days of Joseph Smith Would you have recognized him As a prophet? What makes you think so? He was an obscure little little noted farm boy who eventually led the church for 14 years. Mostly through persecution and hardship, and was ultimately, ultimately killed because of the actions of current and former church members. Yet through it all, there were many more who considered him an imposter or worse than there were that that actually believed him. We lost much when we lost Joseph and Hiram. I've attempted to illustrate as much with this series on prophets. Four generations have passed without the same light, while we ignore, ignorantly declare to each other that nothing at all has changed. We have not lost the fullness, and that's impossible for us to be led astray, except for that. That is uh, against full revelation. Yet God always works in patterns. His house is a house of order. When faced with prophets that do not in any way meet the scriptural definition of following scriptural pattern, and yet who preach to us that we must follow them because they are incapable of leading us astray, and let us uh, and tell us that. Our very salvation depends on following them. What do we think? Let's review prophetic prophetic pattern in history and scripture. Prophets aren't sent to the non-religious. The pattern is to send prophets when religion has become corrupt. The most religious people on earth killed the Savior. Prophets come in times of apostasy to bring restoration. Prophets come before destruction. Though there may be legitimate priesthood hierarchy, God's messengers almost never partake of it, are are never part of it. Instead, they are outsiders without title, position, uh, or church authority. Well, like Samuel the Lamanite. You know, he's just some Lamanite climbing up on the wall nobody knew who he was, but he was a prophet. And they didn't even write his, his message down, And when Jesus came, he's like, why didn't you write down Samuel's message? And they're like, oh, yeah, we should have done that. (laughs) True messengers fearlessly preach repentance. They openly declare their witness of having met the Lord and received their commission from him. Or, like I do, I I openly declare that I have met our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ face to face and embraced him in the flesh. And they are the ones who sent me. True prophets are not popular, widely recognized or generally accepted. They are often cast out or killed. They are nearly always rejected, and I will be killed one day because of my witness. And now to the point of today's post. What if the Lord repeated his pattern today? What if he indeed much what if we indeed lost much light with Joseph and well, what was left has continually dwindled since. To the point that the religion we practice now bears little resemblance to the one Joseph taught. Is one or is and is left barren of any saving power? And what if, seeing this con- uh, condition and knowing of the coming destruction, God sent another true messenger to warn us? Would you recognize God's messenger? Would you have the courage to listen and to believe? Would you have the fortitude to fearlessly evaluate your religious traditions against the light of Scripture and consider the possibility you might be lacking something important? Or would you say nay? Shut your, uh, shut, shout your testimony that we follow the living Prophet and we cannot ever be led astray in the face of prophets who do not prophesy, seers who cannot see, revelators who reveal nothing. Would you be humble enough to go? To the Lord and seek answers for yourself. So, there's a picture here. It's it's a picture of Thomas Monson that says, "Come, listen to a prophecy and reveler later. Do none of those things." Sunday, April seventh, two thousand thirteen. Every dispensation has been led astray. We've all latched into darkness. What on earth makes us think we are any different? Do we not have exhaustive records before us attempting to inoculate us against this deadly lie told by the enemies of our soul that we are somehow different, special, and better than those who went before? Though they were mistaken, we cannot possibly be mistaken. Suppose God sent a messenger today and in his presence was empowered with a message and sent to cry repentance. And I'm telling you that there have been many prophets today that have seen Jesus Christ face to face. And they've been given messages, but what they do, that Christ me absolutely insane. And instead of just giving the message, they add to it, they add to it, they add to it. And then they say, well, because I said it, and I'm the prophet, you must follow me. And then they do the whole thing of, like, you know, just leading the people astray and and, and uh, not teaching the people to get revelation for themselves. These least the prophets that I've come across. Not all of them, but some of them do that. It drives me insane how will the church respond to such a messenger? History tells us such a messenger would be rejected. But the more important question, the most important question is how will you respond? My next post will deal with how God is following his pattern in our day. And for those who are uh, determined to jump to the wrong conclusion, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not a prophet, nor do I intend to proclaim myself about, uh, anything about myself at all But you should be a prophet You have to be a prophet, not a prophet Anyway I don't expect you to believe me But I hope you will believe God I hope you will spend more time asking God If the things written here so far are true Ask if he is indeed following his pattern in our day Ask that your heart may be softened To recognize and accept God's words there is no danger in asking God. You have nothing to fear. Trust God, not me. Stop seeking to be right. Instead, seek to know where you may be wrong. Become as little chil- children as Christ counsel. I absolutely agree. If you want to understand the role and meaning of prophets and the Lord's plan, I recommend you download this article. I'm not going to. It's long. It's 48 pages. But it's It's also the most uh, cogent, well-researched, and documented statement on prophets I found. I realize few will want to put in the effort to read this article, but that's expected. Some will. I hope you will. Until then, here's some food for thought. It happens the same way every time. Here's how it happened last time. Back to the Covenant, section one, verse 17. Therefore the Lord knowing the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth called upon my servant Joseph Smith jr and spake unto him from heaven and gave him commandments and quote if it happens again if the Lord does indeed call and empower another voice crying in the wilderness in our day will you recognize him how let's see here second Nephi 28 27 through 29 it says will be unto to him that saith, we have received and we need no more. And in fine woe unto all those who tremble and are, are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built on the rock receiveth it with gladness. That's, rock, that's the rock of Revelation spoken of there. And he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth lest he shall fall. Will be unto him that shall say We have received the word of God And we need no more of the word of God For we have enough So, end quote Just wanted to say, like, where are Denver Sneffer's That say it's a word Revelations Because I haven't seen any You know um, I mean Just, you know Wondering there So uh, Alan, did you have any comments to make on any of this so far? I have your line unmuted if you're hearing me. Alan? Okay, well, his phone line's there. I don't know if he's, maybe if I just, uh, kick him off here. Maybe he'll call back in and actually unmute his home line. That's what he did last time. I accidentally kicked him off and he came back on and was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> of course, I don't know if I should even ask him what his opinion is, if he's not going to listen to what's been said, because you know, I don't know. Anyway. All right. You know what? I will read this tomorrow. We're going to read part seven and uh, part six and part seven. Uh, tomorrow um I need to get something to eat before I go to work I gonna need to, to work I'm gonna leave for work in an hour and we're almost at the two hour portion of this radio program so thank you for listening to the program I'm just gonna play lukewarm one and lukewarm two uh which talks about how the, how the priesthood was not conferred from nineteen twenty one to nineteen fifty seven And some of the other church uh, changes that have gone in church history. So we'll just uh, put that there. Oh, there's Alan. I'll bring him up and see if he has anything to say. Hello, Alan. Are you there this time?
0: Yeah, my
1: phone just clicked off again, and I got to get back on. (laughs) Oh, okay. I was trying to get a hold of you a couple times to see if you had any uh, comments on anything. Uh, so, I just worried, but anyway i'm I'm gonna read um part six and part seven tomorrow, and we're just gonna play lukewarm 1, One and lukewarm two, and then go out, so I'm kinda tired and want to get something to eat before I have to go to work, so did you have any comments oh, yeah. on uh what the uh the snufferites are talking about here?
0: <laughs> no, not, not right now, but kinda of crazy
1: yeah I just don't understand how they can read um, section one twenty four and realize it's Jesus Christ talking, telling them to build a temple whereby the Most High can come to other and that he might restore it. and they're all like, well, that means Jesus, Jesus has to restore the fullness of the priesthood. It's like you know, Jesus is talking in the third person. He's talking about somebody else. He's talking about the most High that would come to other and that he would restore it, not Jesus. You know, and uh, also in Third Nephi, chapter 21 and 22, it talks about the work of the Father commencing in the last days. That's the work of the Father, restoring the fullness of the priesthood, redeeming Zion. You know, He's the one that sets it forth, not Jesus at that point. It's actually the Father that comes. You know, and we know, and because of Adam and Adahman, that the Father who comes is Father Michael. My- you know, it's the Adam-God doctrine taught there, but they completely reject it. That was completely led them astray on that point. So, but they make a lot of good points. So they do have some error. Yeah. So, all right, yeah. Well. What was that? I say it's crazy. Except, uh, you know, in some ways you can see why they're looking for some... They're looking for for answers based on their own understanding. Exactly. All right, well, I'll just put you back in the box, and I'll put myself on mute, too, and we'll get into Lukewarm 1 and Lukewarm
2: first. and that is the truth. And if you don't want to talk about the truth, then turn off the TV right now. 20th. 1775 many are called few are chosen why because the many are walking in darkness at noonday. where do you find that doctrine and covenants 95 5 through 6 think about it the, the m- most the majority of people are walking in darkness at noon day are you part of those people that are walking in darkness out of the DNC 131 verse 6 quote it is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance this is stuff that you need to ponder it is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance on leading people astray Brigham Young said this in the Journal of Discourses and if he the Lord should suffer him Joseph Smith to lead the people astray it would be because they ought to be led astray. If he should suffer them to be chastened and some of them destroyed, it would be because they deserve it. And this is Brigham Young. It's in the Journal of Discourses. And what makes the Journal of Discourses so accurate is Brigham Young himself was the chief editor of the Journal of Discourses. What does the Lord tell us to do? Waste and wear out our lives doing what, and here's what it says in Doctrine and Covenants 123, 12-14, for there are many yet on the earth, among all sects, parties, and denominations, who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of men, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, and who are only kept from the truth, because they know not where to find it, that's what we're going to do today, we're going to show you the documentation, where you can find it. Therefore, the Lord says, we should waste and wear out our lives. Did you hear that? We should waste and wear out our lives in bringing to light all hidden things of darkness, wherein we know know them, and they are truly manifest from heaven. And these should then be attended to with great earnestness. So the Lord here says we need to waste and wear our lives, exposing darkness because people don't know where to find it. And we are going to show you the documentation, and that's what this video is all about. is showing you the evidence and the documentation uh, of sources so you can check it out for yourself. Again, the Lord commands us as, as being watchmen who raise the warning voice saves their own soul. In verse 3 of Ezekiel 33, it says, And if he seeth the sword come upon the land, he bloweth the trumpet and warn the people. And whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come, and taketh him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. And he that heard the sound of the trumpet, and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his own soul. So it's important here to take warning and pass it along. But if the watchman seeth the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned. If the sword come and taketh any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood uh, will I require at the watchman's hand, saith the Lord. So there is no abs- no. There's no escaping God's judgment. You cannot ignore the warning. I, I am commanded to warn you, and you are commanded to warn your neighbor, and that's what the Lord commands us to do. All saints are commanded to. Sit on the watchman's tower and watch for the enemy in uh, sheep clothing. And uh, that is to warn our neighbor. It is not to say all sheep are good and positive and negative. The positive and negative does not exist in the scriptures. It's right and wrong. We are commanded to sit on the tower to watch for the enemy. The enemy are those who dress in sheep clothing, and they are not sheep. They are wolves. We should all be skeptical. You never know that if I am telling you the truth or somebody else is telling the truth, how do you know what is the truth unless you actually look to see for yourself? So please check out all the documentation that I show you in this video and confirm it for yourself, whether it is true or not. What did Joseph Smith say about following the prophet? He says that they, church members, were depending on the prophet hence were darkened in their minds and you could look that up in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith page 237 and 38 in the Book of Mormon in Mosiah chapter 15 verse 13 King Mosiah alluded to prophets which have fallen into transgression and he says yea and are not the prophets every one that has opened his mouth to prophesy that has not fallen into transgression I mean all the holy prophets ever since the world began. There has never been a prophet that has never fallen into transgression. That's right here in the Book of Mormon. So you can read it for yourself. Mosiah chapter 15, verse 13. Of course, in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31, Jeremiah says the prophets that prophesy falsely. And he goes on in Jeremiah chapter 14, and he says the prophets prophesy lies in my name. See, in my name, the Lord's name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you falsely and in a false vision or a divi- divination and a thing of naught. And then you go and read also in Jeremiah chapter 3, 23 is the whole chapter, and it says here in the chapter, verse 11, For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house I have found their wickedness. Whose house? In my house, the Lord's house, He says, I have found their wickedness. And then it goes on, verse twenty. He says, In the latter days, ye shall ye shall consider it perfectly. So He's saying here, in the last days, history repeats. It repeats again. I found both found both the prophet and priest are profane. Ye, in my house, I found their wickedness. And then in Ezekiel, down here below, here's some more. I mean, the scriptures are nothing but telling how history repeats over and, and over and over, and Ezekiel chapter 30, 13, Ezekiel chapter 22, Ezekiel chapter 34, there's just too much to read, it just goes on and on. Here in the Doctrine and Covenants, following the prophet, the Lord, to the prophet Joseph Smith, quote, and behold, how often you, Joseph Smith, have transgressed the commandments, and the laws of God, and have gone on, on in the persuasion of man. And he says, For behold, you, Joseph Smith, should not have feared man more than God, although man set at naught the counsels of God and despise his word. Read it for yourself, DNC 3, verses 6 through 7. Okay, pay attention to this. Can the prophet be excommunicated? Look up Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, 107. Let's go on and read this. Verse 82. And inasmuch as the president of the high priesthood shall, transg- shall transgress, he shall be had in remembrance before the common council of the church, who shall be assisted by the twelve counselors of the high priesthood. And their decision upon his head shall be the end of controversy concerning him. Thus none shall be exempt from the justice and the laws of God. None not even the prophet and president of the church. And it's right there in the Doctrine and Covenants. This is out of James 4.4. 4. It says, The friendship of the world is an enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And if you look under the LDS footnote in their enmity is opposition. So we see here that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. This is out of the thedeseretnews.com, uh, Thursday, January 4th, 2001. President Hinckley on most admired list for the second time LDS leader Garns number one in the poll of Americans. And it goes on that Gordon B. Hinckley has beat, beat people like Bill Gates, Jimmy Carter, George Bush, Michael Jordan, Jesse Jackson, Colin Powell, uh, John Paul the Pope, uh, he just goes on and on, Tiger Woods, anyway, he is the most popular of the, of the world's uh, popular leaders. And what does the scriptures tell us about being popular or friends of the world? Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Luke 6, verse 26. What did Brigham Young say about the friendship of the world? In the Journal Discourses, he said, There is nothing that would soon weaken my hope and discourage me as to see this people in full fellowship with the world and receive no more persecution from them because they are one with them. In such an event, we might bid farewell to the holy priesthood with all its blessings, privileges, and aids to exaltations, principalities, and powers in the eternities of the gods bring him young april 8 1862 journal discourses volume 10 page 32 what did heber j grant say in the salt lake tribune he says my greatest happiness my greatest happiness i find in the goodwill and friendship that has developed among all classes of people at home and abroad towards the latter-day saint church during my lifetime in place of everyday persecution and bitterness, we now enjoy the high regard and the happy association with all denominations. Heber J. Grant, November 22nd, 1938, Salt Lake Tribune. Again Brigham Young stated, it is easy to lead people astray, quote, Brigham Young, I have often said to the Latter-day Saints, live so you will know whether I teach you the truth or not. Suppose you are careless careless and unconcerned and give way to the spirit of the world and I am led likewise to preach the things of this world and to accept the things that are of, that are not of God. And he goes on to say how easy it would be for me to lead you astray but I say to you, live so you will know whether for yourself, whether I tell you the truth or not. This is the way we want all saints to live. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, volume 18, page 248. In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says, Upon my house it shall begin, quote, Verily, verily, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness in the minds of the people. And all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Do you leave anybody out? For be, behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, a day of weeping, of mourning, and a lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon whose house? The Lord's house, my house, shall it begin. And from whose house my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. Listen to this. goes on to say, First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me, and have blasphemy against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. So first among those people, those leaders who profess to know the Lord, and they say they know him, but the Lord says, hey, they don't know me. But what they do is they blaspheme against me in the midst of my house, the midst of my church, saith the Lord. Talking about the last days. You can read this in DNC 112, 23 through 26. Listen carefully what Brigham Young said. Quote, If a man is called to be a prophet, and the gift of prophecy is poured upon him, though he afterwards actually defies the power of God and turns away from the holy commandments, that man will continue in his gift and will prophesy lies. He will make false prophecies, yet he will do it by the spirit of prophecy, yet he will feel that he is a prophet and can prophesy, but he does it by another spirit and power than that which was given him of the Lord. Bring him young. Journal of Discourses, three, uh, page 364. What does, the book, what does the, book, the book of Mormon say about how the church... The Lord's church is, o- is only overthrown only by the transgression of my people. In Mosiah 27, verse 13. Now listen to this very carefully. It says, For the Lord has said, This is my church, and I will establish it, and nothing shall overthrow it save it is the transgression of my people. See, nothing can overthrow the church except for the transgression of my people. 27 twenty-seven thirteen. Now all you have to do is look up the definition of transgression. And this is what the definition is. Transgression equals sin, sin equals apostasy, blasphemy, disobedience, iniquity, pollute, trespass, abomination, bondage, carnal mind, corruption, natural man, error, wickedness, etc. LDS Topical Guide Index Webster Dictionary. So right here you could see how easy it is to, 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 to have the uh, church will be overthrown by the transgression of my people. Nothing has changed in the history of the world. This is the biggest key of understanding truth. Joseph Smith warned how to tell teaching and revelations from the devil by their contradicting of former revelations, teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 214 to15. So here we see that Joseph Smith tells us how to tell whether a teachings of the devil or of god and if it's of the devil it will be contrary to a former revelations or a teaching so here we have to dig into the scriptures and into the past and if anything that contradicts a former revelation as joseph smith said it will be foretold by the contradicting of a former revelation also in the dnc 3 verse 2 it says the lord never varies from that which he has said he never does or else the DNC is incorrect. But everything complements each other, and that's how you know it's of God. If it doesn't, doesn't complement each other, then you know that it's of the devil. The Lord God gives us our free agency. He says, All be damned who believe not the truth, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And it goes on, and it says that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasures in unrighteousness. Second Thessalonians uh, 2, verse uh, 10 through 12. So here we see if we reject the truth, God gives us a free agency. And if we reject it, God shall send them a strong delusion, and we will believe a lie. So if we reject the, the truth, God will send us a lie, and we will believe it, because that's what we want. God always gives us what we want. What did Jesus say? Quote, I have chosen you out of the world; therefore the world will hate you. Are we being hated? Also, blessed are ye when men shall persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my for my name's sake, for my sake, excuse me. That rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for your, for great is your reward in heaven. So here the Lord saying how happy we should be when people shall persecute you, because this is what we should be doing the Lord's work. And if we're not being persecuted and people are not saying evil things against us, then we're not being blessed by the Lord. So it's just the opposite of uh, what Isaiah said. Everything is just the opposite of what is really going on. The LDS have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant. And Isaiah, uh, Isaiah prophesied... The earth also is defiled under under the inhabitants thereof, because they have what? Transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore have the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. So here Isaiah is prophesying that in the latter days that uh, there will be a people, the church in the latter days will transgress the laws, change the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant. Now let's see what the uh, apostle Joseph Fielding Smith declared. He said, it is the LDS saints who have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant. Joseph Fielding Smith, Deseret News, church section, October 17, 1936. So as we see, Isaiah's Isaiah is, prophecy is fulfilled by the LDS uh, latter-day church. What did Joseph Smith say about uh, uh, priesthood change? Uh, In the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, uh, page 158, Joseph Smith said, If there is no change of ordinances, there is no change of priesthood. Again he says, Where there is no change of priesthood, there is no change of ordinances, says Paul. teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 308. And he, the Lord, set the ordinances to be the same forever and ever. Let's go on and read more of what Joseph Smith said. He said, Here, ordinances instituted in the heavens before the foundation of the world in the priesthood for the salvation of men are not to be altered or changed. All must be saved on the same principles. So here we're not even supposed to alter it or change it any degree, or it's not the same. And then listen to this. The ordinances must be kept in the very same way God has appointed. Otherwise, their priesthood will prove a cursing instead of a blessing. Notice what Joseph Smith said here in Teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith 169. He says, if we change the ordinances, then we, we turn, the, 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 the priesthood will prove a cursing instead of a blessing. Now, if we go back here to Isaiah, what did Isaiah say about changing the ordinances? Or broke the everlasting covenant? He says right here, therefore it has a curse devoured the earth. So he's saying the same thing here. If you change any of these things, now it becomes a curse instead of a blessing. That's exactly what uh, Joseph Smith is saying right here. He's saying, listen, he says, that the ordinances must be kept in the very same way God has appointed, otherwise their priesthood will prove a curse instead of a blessing. So we see, like Joseph Smith said, everything will be in harmony with one another, as far as the scriptures, and you know that's from God. And if it contradicts, then you know it's of the devil. Now, pay attention very much because this is a piece of history that is hidden in plain sight. Talk about walking in darkness at noonday. But this here is the Church uh, of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. Confer or not to confer. 1921, priesthood conferral change. Most Latter-day Saints don't know this part of history, but for 36 years in between 1921 and 1921, In 1936, there was a period of time when the church did not confer the priesthood. There's actually a break in the chain. And as you see here, without the priesthood, you cannot baptize. Uh, You cannot uh, hold the sacrament. You can't bless the sacrament without priesthood. You can't have temple work. There's no authority. And, of course, if you don't have priesthood, uh, you have false leaders. Because if there's no priesthood, that means the authority of God. Uh, there's uh, no chain of command here, it's broke, it's not being passed on. And that's uh, in both the Aaronic and Melchizedek Priesthood, this is what happened. Okay, let's go through a little bit of the history. On, uh, that's that's meet up here. At a meeting at Centerville, Utah, September 27th, 1886, President John Taylor said, quote, I would be surprised if 10% of those who claim to hold the Melchizedek Priesthood will remain true and faithful to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ at the at the time of the seventh president, and that there would be thousands that think that they hold the priesthood, but it would not have be uh, but have not have it properly conferred upon them. And uh, the Truth Magazine, volume six, one thirty six page. And then it goes on uh, President Joseph F. Smith, the sec the sixth president, discovering brother Penrose he was the first counselor, was teaching the new method during his uh, presidency, forbidding him to do so anymore, or I will have you tried for your fellowship, Heber J. Grant said, I know nothing concerning the gospel. I'm a financial man, and when I want the information, I go to President Penrose, James E. Faust, or Joseph Fielding Smith. And after Heber J. Grant came to, to the president of the church, Brother Penrose's theory was adopted. And it goes on. Uh, so here we see that the, the sixth president was threatening excommunication to President Penrose, the first counselor, for teaching, uh, that uh, teaching this new way of ordaining to the office of the uh, priesthood and not giving them the priesthood himself. But anyway, let's go on. And it says, on April 26, 1921, Heber J. Grant, the seventh president, Change the ordinances of the priesthood, said Charles Penrose. We have been making a mistake in ordinations. We have been conferring the priesthood, and it ought not to be done. He says, if we confer the priesthood on a man, we give him what? All the offices and callings in the church. We should ordain uh, directly to the office in the priesthood. Message of the First Presidency, 5, 120. And uh, here we go on. Uh, 36 years later, after it was adopted, 36 years later, on April 1957, David O. McKay changed the manner of priesthood ordinations back to their original way, wherein the priesthood was conferred upon the individuals before he was ordained to uh, the office of the priesthood. Anyway, uh, here we see there was a 36-year period where they never conferred the priesthood, And then uh, David O. McKay changed it back to the original way, but they never went back and corrected all those baptisms, uh, temple work, uh, ordinances of any kind, never went back and changed it. And because we continued down the same path, those that have been given priesthood never never had the priesthood to begin with. And so now we have all these uh, ordinances work that has to be redone. So what about all the ordinances like baptism, temple work, etc., said Brigham Young? No being... uh, it says, no being can give that which he does not possess. He says, consequently, no man can confer the priesthood on another if he uh, has not himself received it first received it. Bring him young. Uh, the History of the Church, uh, Volume 4, page 257. And uh, here we see is the current missionary handbook of 2002. And you can pick this up at any missionary handbook or go to BYU. And here it says, this is how you confer... Conferring the priesthood and ordaining to an office. And here it says, call the person by his full name. State that the ordinance is performed by the authority of the priesthood. This is the part they skip for 36 years. It says, confer the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood unless it has already been conferred. So they skip that, and they go right into ordaining to a specific office in the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood. And bestow the rights and powers and authority of that office. And then if you go over here, uh, this is the missionary handbook. Uh, 1946 edition, copyrighted by Heber J. Grant, and here's the change. And here you see, ordaining to the Aaronic Priesthood. And as you read through here, they left out that part about conferring. And here is the ordaining to the Melchizedek Priesthood. And here you see, this is the the, the original uh, missionary handbook. uh, So you can see that I'm not making this up. And you need to go down to BYU Library, And look at all the missionary handbooks in between 1921 and 1957 and prove prove it to yourself that that the church did not confer the priesthood for 36 years. And here you see uh, it's a 1946 edition. It's published by the church. uh, Copyrighted Hebrew J. Grant uh, for the Church of Christ Latter-day Saints. And as you flip back here, I think the page... 141, let's see, is it one, here you go. And here, it tells you right here, I'm opening it up, and it says, ordaining to the Aaronic Priesthood. And uh, you can go ahead and maybe stop that on your DVD if you want to read it. And then down here it says, ordaining to the Melchizedek Priesthood. And what they do is they just ordain you to an elder, uh, or whatever office it may be and then confer upon you all the rights, powers, and authority pertaining to this office, and calling in the whole Nebuchadnezzar priesthood. So let's see what Joseph F. Smith said about this. This is uh, coming out of Gospel Doctrine, Sermons, and Writings of President Joseph F. Smith, and we're going to quote right out of the book. Okay, on page 136, he has a chapter dedicated. says, Conferring the Priesthood. The revelation in the section 107 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 1, 5, 6, 7, and 21, clearly points out that the priesthood is a general authority or qualification with certain, continuing on page 137, certain offices or authorities appended thereto. Consequently, the conferring of the priesthood should proceed the accompanying of the ordinations to the office, unless it is to be possessed by previously bestowed an ordination. Surely a man cannot possess the appendage to the priesthood without possessing the priesthood itself. Then he goes on, he cannot receive a portion or fragment of the Aaronic priesthood because that would be an acting, acting on the ideas that either or both of the Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthood were subject to subdivision, which is contrary to the Revelation. Then he points out, In ordaining those who have not yet received the Aaronic priesthood or to any office therein, the words of John the Baptist Joseph Smith, Jr. and Oliver Cowdery, there would be appropriate to immediately proceed the act of ordinations. They are, Upon you, my fellow servant, in the name of the Messiah, I confer the priesthood of Aaron. Of course, it would be not necessary to follow that exact word. Then he goes on. He said, It should be consistent with the act of conferring the Aaronic. So he's pointing out here that there's been a problem about people not conferring the priesthood. So he dedicated here a chapter about, hey, we need, it clearly points out we need to confer the priesthood and then give them the office. See on page 174, he goes on and quotes, an office in the priesthood is a calling like an apostle, high priest, 70, elder. It all derives its authority from the priesthood. These officers hold different callings but the same priesthood. So he's saying here, elder, There's nothing but an office in the priesthood. So you can't confer somebody an elder and uh, and not give them the priesthood, because elder is just an office. Page 195, listen to this very carefully. He says, The office of an elder comes under the priesthood of Melchizedek. And then listen to what he says. It is a pity that greater attention is not paid to the matters of history, for then such mistakes would not occur. Several heirs have cre- have crept have of this character. Excuse me, have crept into our history through neglect or want of proper attention to the subject. So here he's saying it's not it's because people don't understand history, they don't understand that the elder is just an office uh, under the priesthood. And he's saying, my goodness, people, wake up! I'm trying to show you history. I'm the president of the church. Listen to what I have to say. But the, for some reason, God put the blinders on them. sent them him a story. Smoke screen because they have broken the everlasting covenant, which we'll get into, and we'll show you some more quotes. Obviously, this subject is getting kind of old for Joseph F. Smith, the sixth president of the church. Here again, he says, "...the priesthood greater than any of its offices." Quote, "...there is no office growing out of this priesthood that is or can be greater than the priesthood itself. It is from the priesthood that the office derives its authority and power." No office gives authority to the priesthood. No office adds to the power of the priesthood. But all offices in the church derive their power, their virtue, and their authority from the priesthood. If, listen to this. If our brethren would get this principle thoroughly established in their minds, there would be less misunderstanding. He was dealing with apostasy. He was saying here, the brethren cannot get this principle in their head, and so he was dealing with apostasy in the church, for they could not see, see the truth. Okay, listen to this very carefully, page 149. He says, uh, ordinances, we must perform ordinances and ordinations strictly in accordance with that order. And he goes on to say, listen to this very carefully, disregard, ignore, or omit any part of, and you start imperfection in the church, and if we should continue in that way, we would find ourselves like those of old, being led by error, superstition, ignorance, and by the cunning and craftiness of men. We would soon leave out here a little, little, and there out a little, a little here a line and there a precept, until we become like. The rest of the world, divided, disorganized, confused, and without knowledge, without revelation, inspiration, and without divine authority. Right there on page 149 of Gospel Doctrine. Yeah, on page 196, there was a group of people that received the office of elder, but they never got in the priesthood. Now listen to this very carefully. They were called the men of sin, was revealed. And authority of the Melchizedek Priesthood was manifested and conferred for the first time upon the several of the elders. We naturally conclude that there were that, that several who had previously been ordained elders had not yet received the spirit or power or authority of their ordinations, but that now for the first time the authority of the priesthood having been manifest, it fell upon them. This is the first time in history, it was in 1829, period of time, that there were People who were given the office of the office of eldership, but they didn't have the priesthood until it fell upon this time. And when they just hold the office of eldership, they were called the men of sin. Now this is on page 196. I'm not making this stuff up. This is gospel doctrine, sermons, writings of Joseph F. Smith. Now, as you open it up here, you can see when it was published. There, this is the 13th edition, Deseret Book, 1963. In fact, the church publishes it today. And uh, here it is, copyrighted by Heber J. Grant. And if he gay Grant would have read this book, there would have been no confusion on the conferral of the priesthood. Here's another copy of a 1921 edition of the Missionary Handbook. They called it the Elder's Manual at the time. And here you see it's a very rare old book, uh, the Elder's Manual. And here it is. It's published by the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, in these different missions. And then as we flip flip through here, we'll go back to the page right here to prove to you, conferring the priesthood. And uh, right here it says, uh, the Melchizedek Priesthood, by authority, or in the authority of the Holy Melchizedek, Holy Priesthood, and by the laying on of hands, I ordained you an elder, or 70, or high priest, or patriarch, or apostle, as the case may be, in the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And confer upon you all the rights, powers, and keys, and authority pertaining to what this office and calling in the holy Melchizedek priesthood, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord the Saints. And uh, here we'll show you the correct version. This is the missionary handbook. It was uh, published here, uh, 2000, right here. It's uh, a 2002 copy, so it's continuation today. And as you flip through the missionary handbook, it comes to this part right here. It says, conferring the priesthood and ordaining to an office. And here it gives you the procedures. Call the person by name and his full name. State that the ordinate ordination is performed by the authority of the priesthood, which is all correct. And then they skip three in the years between 21 and, and uh, 57. And it says, ordained to a specific office and the the Aaronic or Melchizedek Priesthood and bestow the rights, powers, and authorities and have the words of the Wessick. So this is the part they left out, confer the Aaronic or Melchizedek Priesthood. So here you can see they just ordained into the office uh, and authority uh, and in the Aaronic or Melchizedek Priesthood. This is big news, people. This is, should be the number one topic at all priesthood meetings. Uh, nothing else should uh, come up except for this information. Of course, this is the 1946 edition of the Missionary Handbook. Now, I I urge you to go to the BYU Library and look it up for yourself, and you will see it clearly. And here, this one is the 1946 edition of the Missionary Handbook, uh, copyrighted by Heber J. Grant. Of course, if he would have read Gospel Doctrine by his former president of the church, Joseph F. Smith, there would have been no confusion of this uh, priesthood organization. Ordinations, But right here, ordaining to the Aaronic Priesthood. And it says here that uh, I or we lay our hands upon your head and ordain you to deacon. Okay, ordain you a deacon or teacher or priest in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and confer upon you all the rights, powers, and authority pertaining to what? This office and calling in the Aaronic priesthood in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, that was the Aaronic priesthood. So not only do we not have the Aaronic priesthood given to us, but we don't even have the Melchizedek. And it says right here, I, or we, ordained you, what? An elder uh, or whatever office they may be in the church, Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and confer upon you all the rights, powers, and authority pertaining to this office and calling in the Holy Melchizedek Priesthood. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Anyway, you can see right here, they never conferred the priesthood. And uh, you you need to take a look at this. This is very, very important. For 36 years, they did this. This is an extremely uh, important letter. It's dated June 20th, 1955. It's addressed to uh, Joseph Fielding Smith, the church office. And it says, Dear Brother Smith, it goes on, and let me focus this up so you can really get a good, good clear look at this thing. And here's the uh, June 20th, 1955, Joseph Fielding Smith, and it says, Dear Brother Smith, it says, Are you familiar with the teachings of President Joseph F. Smith regarding the conferring of the priesthood before orda- ordaining to the office as recorded on page 196 of Gospel Doctrine? That page number is like the first edition of Gospel Doctrine. And then it goes on to say that the present method of ordaining an elder before conferring the priesthood has caused a little confusion in our group. And he goes on to say, will you kindly enlighten me on this subject? He says, and if the present method is satisfactory, kindly give me the reason for the change. He never wrote back and gave him the reason for the change. And here's the... Mont Woolley, there's his address and signature, and this is the response in Joseph S. Smith's own handwriting, right here. And he says right here, Whom your bishop or president of the stake or anyone uh, else by appointment ordains a youth or man to the priesthood, he should confer the priesthood whether a, a deacon or an elder and, and then ordain to the office. Uh, when the priesthood is once conferred, it is not conferred again. And there it is, Joseph uh, Fielding Smith. You can see it all in his handwriting. He says, we just don't give him the office. We have to give him the priesthood. And look what it took place. 1955, this letter. And um, so in 1957, two years later, David O. McKay changed it back to the original way. So you can see this was a big, big problem before it was changed back. Keeping in mind that the period of time when there was no conferral of the priesthood between 1921 through 1957 in the LDS Church, consider the years that our current First Presidency and Twelve Apostles were born. Do a little simple math and add 20 years on to the date of their birthdays, which which would be probably the earliest time of their ordinations. And it is evident that all of them, with one possible exception, fall into the critical time period when the priesthood conferral was non-existent. Hence, it is possible that all the first presidency and twelve apostles are without any Melchizedek priesthood. What does the scripture say? It says you must have both the ordinances and the priesthood. And in D&C 84, 19 through 21, it says, And the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God, therefore in the ordinances thereof, and the power of godliness is manifest." And it says, and without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. So right there, D&C 84, through 21 It says, without ordinances and the priesthood, you can't see God or have revelation. And that's where we're at today. What does Isaiah say about uh, all this stuff that's going on today? It's about the people of the church. They transgress. And he says, This is a rebellious people that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceit. See, the people don't want to hear the truth. They, they want a seer that sees not. They want a prophet that doesn't prophet, prophesy right things. They want a prophet that speaks smooth things, that prophesies deceits, that wants to be the friends of the world. This is what the people of the church want. They don't want persecution. They don't want any of that. So let's see what Gordon B. Hinckley said in General Conference. This is directly out of page uh, 74, Enzyme, November 2001, Gordon B. Hinckley, General Conference. Listen to what he says. Fulfilling Isaiah. Quote, I do not wish to be an alarmist. I do not wish to be a prophet of doom. See, he wants to speak smooth things, just like Isaiah said. People don't want to hear negative things. They want to hear nothing but positive. Remember, negative and positive is part of our language, even though the scriptures say make yay, yay, and nay, nay your conversation. And we've completely gotten away from black and white issues, and everything is a feely word now, which is positive and negative. It has nothing to do with the truth, right and wrong. And then it goes on, and what Isaiah Continue saying, he says, For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. See that? It's, uh, it's a freedom of choice God has given us. You can either follow your heart, if you follow sin, you'll follow the leader you want to be in its place. But here you're, for the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. And here you go, and this is why. Because this is a pe- this is a rebellious people that not will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceit. And what is the outcome? The outcome is that the that the pe- leaders leaders along with the people, both of them are destroyed. So it's always happened throughout history. So what ordinances have we changed to cause the priesthood to be changed later on down the road? This is out of the the readings and church history. This is published. This book here is published right from the church. And uh, right here you see, published by the Church of Jesus Christ Latter day Saints. And you flip the page. It says here, uh, copyrighted 1979, Corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter day Saints. And uh, we're going to go ahead and flip to uh, this, this revelation right here that should have been in the Doctrine and Covenants. And uh, this revelation here was through Wilford Woodruff. And let's see if we can get a close-up at it here. And it says right here that the church attorneys were asked, uh, church attorneys asked the First Presidency how how proper it would be to make statements in court about the endowment and about instructions that have been given to discontinue the solemnization of full marriage. And it says right here, that the questions was taken to President Woodruff, who made it a matter of prayer. And then on this date, November 24th, 1889, he dictated the following revelation to his clerk. Now, this how come this is not in the Doctrine and Covenants? It's not. It says, This saith the Lord. And it goes on, and it says here, that not my servants, who are called by the presidency of my church, deny my word or my law, which concerns the salvation of the children of men. And that was the revelation of uh, plural marriage uh, that he was talking about. He says, Place not yourself in jeopardy to your enemies by promise, or, you, or by promise, your enemies seek your destruction and the destruction of my people, if the saints will hearken to my voice and the counsel of my servants. So he says, Whatever you do, don't. Don't sign any document uh, with your enemies. And with uh, the state of Utah forced them to give up plural marriage, which is the uh, manifesto that happened in 1890, which we'll get into that. And then uh, it goes on to say, on this side of the page, you make it quickly here. It says, quote, The United States government has taken a stand and passed laws. Can you see that? Passed laws to destroy the Latter-day Saints on the subject of polygamy. So you can see here how the United States law is made to destroy the uh, Everlasting Covenant. Get this. We're going to get into Isaiah's prophecy again where they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broke the Everlasting Covenant. Now we're going to point to you what is the Everlasting Covenant. Okay here's another prophecy this is uh, section uh, 1 chapter heading and here, if you read the chapter heading of, of Section 1 of the DNC, it says, quote, Apostasy and wickedness proceeds the second coming. It says, Revelation given through Joseph Smith on November 1st, 1831. And then, so, so sometime between 1831, when this revelation was given, and the second coming, apostasy and wickedness will precede the second coming. I'm just reading this right out of the DNC you can follow. Now, DNC, Section 1, verse 15, listen to what it says. For they have strayed from my ordinances and have broken my everlasting covenant. See the footnote uh, where it says they have strayed at the bottom of the page. And it says Isaiah chapter 24, chapter heading. And men shall transgress the law and break the everlasting covenant. At the second coming, they shall be burned. Then it goes on to say, and this is what I just read you, uh, Isaiah 24. Then it says they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, and broke the everlasting covenant, Isaiah says. Now listen to what D&C 1 goes on to say. Verse 22, that my everlasting covenant might be established. Hasn't yet. He says it might be established. Then on verse 23, that the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed. It's going to. It hasn't happened yet. So he's saying it's going to happen. And now we see in section 132, the fullness, everlasting covenant, is revealed. Listen to this. Verse 1 of 132. The principle and doctrine of having many wives and concubines. Behold and lo, I am the Lord thy God, and will answer thee as touching this matter. Listen. Therefore prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give unto you. So he's just about, he's going to give it to him right now. For all those who have this law revealed unto them must obey the same. And it says, For behold, I reveal unto you a new and an everlasting covenant. And if ye abide not that covenant, then what? Then you are damned. For no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. Then he says in verse 6, And as pertaining to the new and everlasting covenant, it was instituted for the fullness of my glory and he that receiveth the fullness thereof must and shall abide the law or he shall be damned saith the Lord so we see the fullness of the gospel is the doctrine of having many wives and concubines apostasy and wickedness will precede the second coming happened officially on october 6 1890 see the official uh, Declaration one, and if you buy not that covenant, then you are damned. For no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter in my glory. Fulfilling, you have to read these. This is going to shock you. This here fulfilled rejecting the everlasting covenant, fulfilling DNC one fifteen as prophesied, fulfilling Isaiah 24:5, and fulfilling Third Nephi chapter 16 verse 10. All of these have predicted that we will reject.
1: i got to say something. I'm going to turn it down. Okay, the reason why God um, in Daniel chapter 12 scatters the power of all the holy people is because of what they did in 1921, also because of what they did in 1978, and also because of what they did in 1890. But let me just read it real quick. I'm going to read the whole chapter. This is the NIV version of Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of, of nations until then. But at that time, your people, every, who, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Sorry about the book of life or the book of the church. Anyway, multitudes who sleep in the dust will awaken sent to everlasting life others to shame and everlasting contempt. Who are, who, those who are wise will shine like brightness of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness will be, are like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, will up and seal the words of the scroll until the end come. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. <clears throat> Verse 5, and then I, Daniel, look, and let's turn that off. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this side of the bank of the river, one on the opposite bank. So this is Daniel, or I mean, Zechariah 4.14, it says that there are two that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Here it's talking about these two as well. One on this side of the bank of the river, Daniel was in the old world. He was in Babylon on that side of the bank of the river, or... In other words, the Atlantic Ocean. and the other, on that side of the bank, on the opposite bank, which is talking about the land of America, he's speaking of Messiah ben Yudah ben David and Messiah ben Yosef ben Ephraim, which is uh, Messiah sent as a witness to the people, the Holy Ghost, uh, to the land of America on the other side of the ocean. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was a, the waters of the river, "How long will will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled?"
0: Mm.
1: The man clothed in linen. No, it doesn't literally mean clothed in linen, but linen is like in the in the law, you cannot combine wool and linen or other fabrics. You've got to keep it pure, right? So this is a man who is pure before the Lord of the whole earth. <clears throat> who was above the waters of the river. Now the waters in Hebrew are, it means that he, he walks among the people, the waters of the people. And he lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, which is after the manner of the Melchizedek priesthood and heard him swear by him who is forever, by the eternal father, saying it will be for a time, times and a half, um, and half a time when the powers and the power of, Of the holy people has been broken, and all these things will be complete. That's talking about the priesthood of who are the holy people? In the last days, it's not Judah. It is Ephraim, the people of Ephraim. And that is uh, the same Ephraim that are the drunkards of Ephraim spoken of in Isaiah chapter 28 that the one mighty and strong has to go to. And I heard, but I understood not. So I asked, "My Lord, what will be, what will the outcome of all of this be?" And He replied, "Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the end of uh, the time of the end. For the reference, this is happening in the last days. Many will be purified, made spotless, and re- refined, but the wicked shall continue to be wicked. Well what is the wicked there? Are those who mingle." Babylon with the words of God And the the gospel None of the wicked will understand But those who are wise will understand From the time that The daily sacrifice is abolished And the abomination That causes desolation is set up There will be 1290 days Blessed is the one who waits And reaches the end of the 1335 days As for you Go your way till the end you will rest, and then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. It's different than the King James Version. It's still a lot different from the way it was actually written, to, uh, like what Daniel wrote it. But the daily sacrifice comes because they have the priesthood in the temples. Their sacrifice is that they are uh, devoting their time in the temples to do the work of the Lord. But the power, or the the power, or the priesthood of all the holy people, will be broken because those who have it have mingled themselves with Babylon, and the abomination that, that brings forth a desolation is when homosexual marriages are sealed in the temples of God, because the the government is forced it, and that will happen. Now, like uh, July of 2013, I mean, I do this here. I knew this because this talks about Michael, and uh, you can actually prove the Adam God doctrine using this chapter, Daniel chapter 7, um, Revelations, and 35 chapter 21 and 22, because it talks about the Father. And Michael is the one who comes, Adam and I and he is the Father. He's not the eternal Father. I, I didn't understand this, but God told me in July of 2013, raise your arm to the square your arms, both of them, and use the power I have given you, which I have been given the power to uh, seal, uh, loose, bind, bless, uh, curse. The power I have given you to sever the ordinances of all the holy people. And I said, Father, I don't understand why you want me to do this. He said, because if they will not receive you as my witness, I will not receive them. Because I have a sure witness I have seen the father and the son in the flesh and embrace them both. And I am a witness that was prophesied to come. When the abomination, uh, when this daily sacrifice ends because the power has been scattered, there is 1290 days until the abomination that causes desolation is set up from 2013 There was only two states that accepted uh, same-sex marriages. Not all of them do. That's the setting up of the abomination. The final straw, the last straw, is where the government forces the the church to steal homosexual marriages in the couples. And that will happen this year or in 2017. The desolation that comes because of that will be China, Russia, Iran, and these Muslim countries coming into this nation with complete and utter desolation. And all that has to happen before Zion's redeemed, uh, before uh, Zion comes down from above, the city of Enoch, Ghananam, on and all of it. The reason why God asked me to create the Church of the Living Messiah was to gather those who are true apostles and prophets in
2: these last days
1: so that when the setting in order happens, it can happen as it needs to happen. It will already be set up. When setting in order in and um, uh, DNC Section 85 happens, it's all going to be uh, ready to go. So anyway, i got to get out of here. I'm already a little bit late. I just wanted to explain that a little bit. Um, thank you for listening to the program. Take care. God bless everyone. Goodbye. I
0: thought that I all alone broken and afraid that you would live with me. Yes, you will.